Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nectar Series podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Ashley. This podcast is a community-building exhibition that collects beautiful stories, sweet like nectar, from members of our community in Western North Carolina and uses them to weave a patchwork of narratives that connect each of us through our common past, present, and future. In today's episode, we'll be speaking to Travis Roundtree. Hello, listeners. Calliope Stage has a really exciting event coming up we want to tell you about. In August, we'll be presenting our very first live theatrical production outdoors in downtown Silva, North Carolina. We believe the majesty of the Appalachian Mountains houses a tremendous opportunity for new theater. And in August, we will show you exactly what we mean. 23 artists have worked three months to create 10 new original shorts or short pieces of theater. And each of these shorts uh, tells a story rooted in our Western North Carolina region. These writers, historians, choreographers, composers, musicians, and the list goes on, have created some really dynamic pieces, and we cannot wait to share Calliope Shorts with you, our audience and supporters, first, right here in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. So check out our website to learn more and reserve your tickets for those first two weekends in August. They are limited due to COVID-19 seating arrangements, but you definitely don't want to miss this, and we cannot wait to see you at the theater. Welcome to the Nectar Series. Today, we're going to be talking with Adam Bigelow. Adam is a really, really interesting and wonderful part of this community that is so focused on the ecosystem and the environment and the beautiful landscapes and surroundings in the region. Um, Adam engages in the community. Um, uh, I, I think maybe he would identify himself as a pseudo botanist. To me, he's full on botanist, <laughs> but um, he is also a musician and plays uh, in a local band um, and just uh, really engages in the community in some really wonderful ways, especially involving the environment. Um, so you'll hear him talk about how he leads um, walks and talks um, through the landscapes and through the region to talk about the different flora and fauna. Um, you'll hear him talk about how he came to music and how he expresses himself through music and also his really wonderful work that he does with um, some of the community gardens in the area and how he participates, engages those and why he holds all of these things so dear to his heart. Um, so please enjoy our very robust and bold conversation with Adam Bigelow. Hey y'all, this is Corey Phelps, the education and community lead at Calliope Stage. When I'm not helping plan summer camps at Calliope, I'm the artistic director of Destination Theater, which is a theater company based out of Atlanta, but serving the entire nation. Destination Theater is dedicated to creating excellent and imaginative touring productions for people of all ages, backgrounds, and demographics. We aim to provide exciting, educational, and high-quality theater experiences in communities across the U.S. and beyond. What that means is we are bringing the hit children's show, How I Became a Pirate, based on the hit children's book of the same name, to the hit town, Silva, North Carolina. How I Became a Pirate will be presented on the Calliope main stage behind the Triple Threat Arts Academy. We'll be performing live. Doesn't that sound nice? Live theater? In-person events? We think so. So we will see you there on June 12th at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Bring a blanket or a chair and learn all about how to become a pirate. Arg. We are extremely excited to be speaking with Adam Bigelow today, um, and we will get in exactly to all the um, really cool and interesting and amazing things he does in our community. Um, but Adam, first, hello and welcome. Hi, happy to be here. Happy to have you. Um, what we ask all of our guests to start out with, if you don't mind, um, just giving us a few words on how you identify yourself. Sure. Hi, y'all. My name is Adam Bigelow. And uh, my preferred pronouns are he, him, his, and y'all. And uh, I am a plant nerd and um, a uh, musician. You know, surprisingly, for being in Western North Carolina, you are our first y'all identifier. <laughs> y'all's a y'all's a beautiful pronoun because it um, is non-gendered, 
and uh, and is applicable. Plus, it identifies uh, bioregionalism. That you know what, and um, a funny story on y'all or anecdotal, I guess. Um, I was working on a theater contract up in New York City a couple summers ago, and uh, we were talking about. Uh, that's when you know, I, I guess we really started paying attention to pronouns and making that a part of um, uh, regular conversation. Um, and people in New York City were talking about how they needed to use my y'all <laughs> because it encompassed everything. So let it be spread. <laughs> all we right. use it all the time down here in Texas. So that's right. <laughs> just get with the program. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Um, all right, so so Adam, first up here, can you please tell us a little bit about why you're here um, and how long uh, Western North Carolina has been a part of your life? Sure, um, I, I love Western North Carolina, especially um, Jackson County, uh, and I've lived here um, for most of 28 years uh, with five, and that'll be this coming August, that'll be 28 years, and then five of those years were spent in uh, Franklin and Macon County. Excellent. And so, um, when you, when you made your way here, why did you stay? Uh, you know, that's, that's a great question. Uh, why stay? Uh, I fell in love with the mountains and, um, I didn't really want to move back to where I'd moved from, but I, uh, but I was about to. And then, um, that first fall just hooked me and I fell in love with the mountains. So yeah, been here leave ever it since. to fall to just reel you. you back in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> Adam, what would you say your role is in the community? Um, I rouse the rabble. Yes! <laughs> I'm a troublemaker. No, um no, let's go with that. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm a rabble rouser. Uh I'm a troublemaker. Uh no, my role in the community, you know, uh I enjoy um, community with a capital C and uh, for a long time, my role has been as um, community garden managers and uh, connecting people with nature. And uh, which community gardens are you currently involved with? I am a member of uh, the Silva Community Garden in downtown Silva in sunny, beautiful downtown Silva, right across the uh, creek from the um, old courthouse slash new library and the beautiful um, hillside and the steps and that statue of their Confederate hero. And um, we are on the other side of the creek, have been a part of that garden since uh, uh, the second year of its existence, which is now 16 years. That's and then- so uh, Awesome. <laughs> I love it. You know, community gardens are great. Um, we, uh, we grow food and we grow community. Well, I also, I work with, um, I, r I run as garden manager for my, um, uh, part of my employment is to run the Cullowee Community Garden in Cullowee, North Carolina. So there's two different ones in uh, Jackson County so far. There's more than that, actually, but two I'm involved with. Can you talk a little bit for, for any listeners who may not be familiar with community gardens or maybe they know of them, but don't know how to get involved or why they're there or what they do. Can you just talk a little bit about what community gardens are? Yes, except I don't know if I can do the little bit part because I'm really passionate. <laughs> I've been working in it for a long time, but yes. Um, a, in general, a community garden is anytime a group of people come together to work um, a little small piece of land. So it could be anything from um, a neighborhood association planting flowers at their front entrance as a group a few times a year to um, uh, large scale food production, um, organic farm operations that run with volunteer labor and community labor, such as Root Cause Farm out in Fairview, North Carolina, or it can be um, a model like ours and others, many others, where people adopt their own garden plots within a larger garden and grow food, uh, flowers, vegetables, and herbs for themselves and friends and family. And there's a lot of um, different models and varieties of types of community gardens, but that's pretty much what they share is people coming together to grow plants. 
Well, I, I think it's uh, pretty fitting that we are interviewing you here at the top of spring. Oh, so man. So can you tell us about spring at a community garden? Oh, my Lord. Or uh, spring, in, spring in, in Western North Carolina and the mountains I, in general? I accept that second question, please, and thank you. Yeah. Because um, we are uh, at the top of spring. I like that very much. And I'm up here at the top of a mountain where the spring water comes out of the hillside and uh, the spring wildflowers shoot up and uh, spring is a, is a very powerful and magical time. You know, people set, uh, call it new years in the dead of winter and they set these new year's resolutions and then wonder why they fail. Um, that's because on December 31st, the ground is bare and empty. And on January 1st, the ground is bare and empty. There's no change. Um, celebrate New Year, make your resolutions in springtime when one day the ground is bare and empty and next thing you know, flowers pop up. And many people consider spring as um, uh, weather, nice weather. But springtime is, when it comes to weather, springtime's all weather. We'll have nice days, we'll have cold days, rainy, snow, and all of it. But really spring is the emergence of life into the uh, northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere in the temperate areas um, and the return of flowers. And it is one of the most magical and beautiful things. And we are just at the top of it, just at the beginning of this long succession of southern Appalachian wildflowers that is so inspiring that Andrew Copeland or one of those people wrote a, a symphony about it, Appalachian Spring. It's a beautiful thing, and it starts with the trout lilies and uh, goes from there, and it's just magic, magic. Okay, one rapid-fire question that I'm going to let Jessica take over to lead us Good. on. But uh, rapid-fire, favorite spring flower in Appalachia? Oh, goodness. Um, it's hard to beat. I like to stalk the very first one. I like to, like, go out, and I want to see the very first thing that pops up. And I, not only the very first type, I want to see the first flower of the year. And that's when I celebrate and shout out Happy New Year to my dog and nobody. And so um, this isn't my favorite spring wildflower. I can't pick that. That's too much. Um, <laughs> but I will talk about the trout lily, Erythronium umbilicatum, Erythronium virginicum. It's the very first flower of the year. And it signifies the return of life and hope for the world. Beautiful. Thank you. I love that. Uh, funny story. I lived next door to a community garden in New York oh, cool. City in Harlem. Oh, and yeah. it was so much fun. And every weekend and during the week too, everybody, you know, they would come and everybody had like a little plot who was a mm -hmm. part of this community garden and they would you know, water it and check their plants and things like that. But sometimes around holidays, there would be these big cookouts mm -hmm. that would happen in the community garden. And it was always just a, such a fun way to build community and to connect. What do you think is your favorite way uh, or how do you most connect to people in your community? Um, you know, I, I do it. For, uh, I, I really am a firm believer in uh, community health and strength and connection um, because it's a big part of resiliency. And, um, uh, you know, and when things are going good or when things go bad, you want your community around you. And, of course, um, 2020 was, has been a struggle for a lot of that. Um, but during this past year and during the lockdown and the social distancing, the community gardens were a savior for me and for a lot of people because we could be outside physically distant, but socially connected. And, um, you know, gardening in general got a resurgence last year as people were stuck at home and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I... Connecting with people by um, one of my favorite things to do is um, meet with somebody who wants to adopt a gardener who wants to learn about a, how it works. And I walk them around and tell them about um, everything and show them stuff and show them the open and available plots. And then they say they want to join. And I say, okay, well, you got to pick a plot and they pick it. And it's like, yay, welcome. <laughs> you know, and there you go. It's yours. Bye. And then it's yours to work. And I, I really love that. So um, 
doing tours, teaching people. Those are some of my favorite things to connect with community, uh, my community here locally, but I have other um, loves and passions that allow me to do that as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. So not, not only engaging in the community, but but building the community through education and mm. also through welcoming. Like I would feel so mm-hmm. welcome if somebody mm. were able to help me pick out my specific plot and be That's really right. excited that I joined. <laughs> yeah, my, I want people to fall in love with gardening, fall in love with nature, um, to be able to better understand our connection to it and that we're not separate of nature, but we are an ecosystem and we are part of the ecosystem. And that it um, needs us to be uh, behaving as if we were. I um, um, maybe, maybe, maybe not <laughs> going to be drawing a parallel here, but I've been doing some recent research on um, you know the benefits of community arts projects. I'm seeing a lot of mm-hmm. uh, similarities in what you're saying and and kind of what I've been thinking about because you know there's there's increasing um, you know research and and studies that are being done. Um, that talk about how shared arts and cultural experiences are really key and vital to strong and vibrant communities, both socially, culturally, and economically. Okay. I sense, I sense that community gardening or shared um, experiences in nature would be similar, right? Um, and and have have the same sort of direct re- links between the economic health of a community and the quality of its social bonds. Um, I, I love the addition of nature to that. Cause you know, that's not mm. necessarily a part of shared arts experience, although it could be, um, oh, do, do you feel be. that there's, um, do you feel that there's a link between yeah. the, the vibrancy and health of a community and the community yeah. gardens yeah. availability and participate very much so. And not only do I feel it, but, um, there is a lot of supportive research um, showing that benefit. And a lot of it happened in the uh, municipal community garden groups around New York City too. Um, Brooklyn Botanical Gardens has done a lot of wonderful research and work, um, but there's others. And so the American Community Garden Association is as a treasure trove of links to that supportive research and also you know, yeah, the economic vitality, it can help um, raise uh, property values in a neighborhood. It brings people together in times of um, trouble. And so you're connected to people. Um, we we meet and make friends in a community garden um, with folks that we may not have crossed paths with or connected and especially in more uh, populated areas. Um, but it's not all fun and games and it's not all... Um, sunshine you know sometimes uh there's a lot of challenges with um community in general you know my uh joking working title of my memoirs right now is the politics of a community garden a microcosm for america (laughs) yeah right Ah. right you can we can get some funding for that all right that I would read that book tomorrow (laughs) i mean because a lot of people get along but sometimes we don't miss community. It's people having to get along and having to work out and work through conflict. Mm-hmm. And when there's a shared mission and a shared vision, then conflict actually is, is beneficial and strengthens the project. And well, yeah. Can we walk down this path a little further? I'll go. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm Calliope. We're really interested in, um, finding new and innovative ways that we can create diverse cultural gathering spaces. And in these Mm -hmm. spaces, we, we hope to um, create conversation, um, allow for vulnerability, uh, you know, in, in ensuring participants that um, it's okay to be uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) To be comfortable with discomfort is what we like to say. Um, so, so I, I think many people that would live here that live here would would agree that it's a pretty close knit community. 
Um, but we, even as a, a, a close knit community, we just much like a community garden, um, aren't without our political challenges. Right. Sure. Um, and so do you, do you think from your perspective and the way that you engage in community and the, and, and how you use what you love to engage in that community, um, do you think that there's a way through nature as part of these cultural gathering spaces that can um, help us work through some of these differences of perspective or you know challenges that we have currently in our community? One hundred percent, yes. And um, one thing, you know, there's things that we all have in common, and that's something that people are trying to highlight more um, than those things that are cause division or are seen as different and um everybody eats everybody eats food and I uh I do. oh boy <laughs> food is culture yes um and i'm not even being flippant when i say like agriculture horticulture and our cultural um heritage is wrapped up in food and culture is tied to caring for things or to cultivate the earth or to cultivate land to turn it over and care for it and tend it and provide that basic sustenance and that need that we all have and share and so whatever our um socio-political um ethnic and uh um dot 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 differences and those things that uh, lead to the beautiful diversity of uh, the human species, you know, we all have um, that need to sit down and eat food. And so when we can do that together, um, it can bridge a lot of those perceived gaps. If you share a meal, I read, I read just a couple of years ago that there's some researchers looking at um, that if you share a meal and eat the same food and eat the same dinner, then your microbes in your gut are processing the exact same components as the person you shared that meal with. So y'all get a connected experience through that. Mm. Oddly, it was in reference to um, ordering the same thing as the person who's interviewing you for a job at a, uh, at a uh, interview lunch or whatever as a as a way to try to get them on your side and stuff but that wasn't what fascinated me what fascinated me was that um that microbial and gut connection i love thinking about that the, the way that you put that adam i think that's so beautiful it's culture that's what um and you know we are a human culture you know that and human has a shared root word with um humus or or you know the breaking down of of um living material into back in the soil from when it came and i come by this naturally um my name is adam so the root of that is a uh, uh, man of red earth or dirt i like to say my name means dirt <laughs> <laughs> but really i like it. to say it's soil rich soil right rich soil <laughs> and then i also go farther and I, I, I like it. I enjoy language. I, I enjoy going into that. Um, and so here in the South, we were speaking to y'all earlier. And um, but here in the South, we pronounce soil as soul. Right. I love that. I love that. That connection there. Yes. That's right. It's not just soil. It's soul. It's soul. <laughs> and then. All right. So take it further. Um, what do you call the bottom of your feet? Your soul. The soul. soul of my foot. What's the Latin word for the sun? Soul. That's right. Solar soul. <laughs> so when I'm standing barefoot in the garden, you know, my the soles of my feet are in touch with the soul and it's warmed by the soul. And then that feeds my soul, that part of a, every living thing that never dies. I, I mean, I think we can end it there, Adam. <laughs> You just, oh, I, I have more questions. No, it's brilliant. Yeah, mic drop. <laughs> but just based on that. Just based on that. You are yeah. such a creative person. Like yes. already, I'm like blown away yeah. by this creativity mm. and knowledge. But where mm. do you find that creative zone? When do you feel like you're you're in that creative place for you? 
Oh, that that zone, that flow state, that like non-thinking and doing is the magic. And so that happens to me all I I, I cultivate that like I cultivate a garden. Um, it happens while working, while turning compost, while weeding, while um, planting, you know. It happens to me while slow walking in the woods, looking for the tiniest little wildflower and having to really be uh, intentional and mindful so that I don't miss them because sometimes the things that I'm looking for are really small. But I will tell you that the um, that flow state comes so beautifully and well um, in my life by uh, making music with my friends. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the... Uh, energy of performing music and that's something that so many of us have missed over this last year and um you know if they were my buddies and i were talking about getting together and playing music today um for the first time in so many months and then that thunderstorm came through mm -hmm. so that kind of wiped that out but it's coming back and it's coming soon and i miss it um i've been playing music for a long time and and i've been making music with uh some of my bandmates for a long time and it's really easy to just get into that communication and that um that energy exchange and that that space where it's just nothing else matters except for right right that moment right then yeah i like i like to refer to it for me i like to think of it as deep work when i mm -hmm. get into my deep work um mm. and since we're since we're all in the wordplay right now, yeah, I think yeah. you can put, I think maybe you can think about deep work for your gardening as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's talk, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about your music. Can you, how did you, sure. how did you come to music or how did music come to you? Thank you. I have, um, um, I'm a late arrival to uh, playing an instrument than most people who play an instrument. And so I picked up, uh, I play the bass um the electric four string bass and the stand up upright bass and i didn't get my first bass until i was 27 um but i've been a music fan and and i know now that i've been a musician way longer than that and uh, i just allowed myself to get discouraged when i was a kid and trying to learn guitar and it not working so i quit but um yeah i've been playing uh the bass now since uh i was 27 and uh i'm 50 now and i've uh been in a bunch of different bands and i love it i like all the different styles of music that i can and when i grow up i want to be a jazz bass player that's awesome but i ain't there yet can you talk a little bit about your your current band or the current group that you play with Yes, um, I am uh, the bass player in the uh, band Old Dirty Bathtub, and uh, that's right. Which Old many Dirty people Bathtub. in Jackson County know and beyond. <laughs> Old Dirty Bathtub, ODB is in the house, um, and we are a, uh, a, a string band Um that anywhere outside Appalachia, they would probably call bluegrass, but we know better here. <laughs> and uh, we're we're like a, we're like a um, a bluegrass jam band, and it's so much fun. And we uh, produced an album and are real proud of it. And have uh, we're and we're playing regularly and regularly, and had some really nice um, opportunities coming up. Uh, regionally when uh, COVID came through and things got shut down. So we're really excited to try to pick that back up and, and rebuild it. Um, our album is called Pack Mule and you can find us on Spotify. Awesome. We'll make sure we put all that in the show notes too. Sure. Adam. Yeah. So Adam, we, yeah. we've talked about your gift of gardening and education mm your gift of bringing music to the community. What do you, what do you gain from the community? Mm. What is the community's gift to you? They give me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm so kidding. Um, they, uh, this community um, supports me. This community gives me love. 
with a capital L love, the big, big love. Um, I have lifelong friends, but more than that, I can, um, I, I know that if I'm in need of help, there's help available around me. And I know that because uh, when others are in need, we help each other. That's what we do. But I've um, been in need and received amazing help. Um, everything from uh, last year when I didn't want to um, stop gardening and seek out other income, which I normally have to do because I'm only uh, a year-round, 20-hour-a-week employee running my community garden um, in Cullowhee or our community garden. So I have to do more than that. But last year, all I wanted to do was help people grow food and, and grow food and work in that garden and try to do as much as I could to, to make those things keep going. And um, so I put out a call, spending some of that social capital and asked people to give me money so I could keep doing that. And they stepped up and did. And I, and it was, it was, uh, it was so humbling and beautiful. And that's just one of, of many, many, many ways, um, that this can, I mean, and that's an economic thing really. Um, uh, you know, what I think anything that we're seeking outside of ourselves and outside of our community is to be had and found in your community. And so um, they, they are, I love this community around us here in Western North Carolina and Jackson County um, is a very special place. Yeah. What do you hope that your impact will be? I mean, you, you've already had an impact on this community, but what, what is your wish that when people think of you that blank is your impact um yeah I, yeah i don't know um i hope that uh i hope that i i i don't know what that's such a i don't know i don't what do i hope my impact is here's what i hope my impact is thank you um i hope that people notice the natural world around them. Um, I hope that people through my teaching, through my um, uh, sharing of beautiful photographs that I take of flowers um, and by um, even more importantly, um, coming on a, a guided interpretive wildflower walk with me, which is stuff that I actually do and will be beginning soon again you know, as a small uh, side business, um, I want people to fall in love with flowers and fall in love with nature. Um, and I want them to do that. And I'm intentionally hoping that they do. Um, so, uh, so that they'll know why it needs our help and protection. Because, you know, if you don't know something's there, you can't love it. And if you don't love it, why would you care if it's there? So I love to, um, one of my favorite things in the world is to take people for a walk in the woods, lead them into a field of wildflowers that are small and that they haven't seen yet. And then point out one and then watch as they realize, oh my gosh, they're ever, oh my gosh, they're everywhere. And, you know, it's, it's just such a great feeling because that happened to me and it's that awakening. And then I've had a, bunch of people say to me you know after walking in the woods with you Adam I just see flowers everywhere and uh it's because they are they're everywhere today's episode of the nectar series is brought to you by anchor our mission here at the nectar series is to share stories use anchor to elaborate anchor provides you with the tools to tell it all not only do they provide unlimited free hosting for your podcast Anchor supports your podcast with blog entries and answers questions on monetization and making your podcast fun and entertaining. Visit anchor.fm to find everything you need to make a podcast all in one place for free. That's anchor.fm. Yeah, I think that is a pretty incredible impact, even if it's just with one person, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, the gifting the opportunity 
and the wherewithal for someone to see beauty around them, additional mm. beauty around them that they didn't notice before. I think that is an amazing legacy. Mm. How and in what ways have you felt like that impact or that legacy or even your intended purpose in the community has been challenging for you? Mm. Um, yeah, well, it is challenging. One is to um, like trying to uh, grow a business and, and get people to come on walks and stuff, you know, and, and then to sustain that so that, you know, that every year I get return people and new people coming and um it's that's a challenge and so that's some of that um business side of the stuff that I, is not at all exciting or fun for me um eventually i hope to pay somebody else to do that and i can just go walk in the woods and teach wildflowers but um yeah and then challenges also are um you know i'm not always uh, a nice person I try to be but sometimes I'm not <laughs> we uh when you live around people for a long time you know there's history there's past there's conflict resolutions and different things and so you know and then there's perceptions and people thinking certain things of me me thinking certain things of other people or whatever it's just it's not all um sunshine and pretty flowers you know uh so uh and then the challenges are um, our own, my own individual struggles and, and perceptions of myself and, you know, uh, fear of success and negative mm. talk and all that, uh, you know, uh, imposter syndrome stuff and all that wrapped up. And it's just like, I know people, I know people who really know all the plants in the woods most of the people around here think I'm the guy that really knows all the plants in the woods, but I'm not that guy. I know a lot compared with lay people. Yes. Compared with some of the rock star botanists I know, I am uh, just an egg. I am just, I know nothing, but I'm learning more and more. Um, Adam, I've, I've removed all of the plants from this room because I would be oh. so embarrassed for you to see them. <laughs> Like uh -oh. you, you would look at it and be like, why are you killing every plant that you own? <laughs> you mean house plants? I kill house plants all the time. <laughs> I have, and I, I try not to let these hear me. You know, I've got a little jade here. <laughs> Looks pretty cool, but you know, it came to me that way. I didn't make it that nice. Uh, and I try not to let them hear me because they are listening, but I really have no love for house plants. <laughs> poor poor I like, house I like plants. The, the native plants poor little house plants i like the native plants that live out in the woods and then i like the native plants that can live in our gardens and landscapes and then i like the um ecological uh connection that native plants provide and it's such a beautiful thing and uh we we rely on them way more than they rely on us yeah I love that. But don't be shamed about your house plants. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. The, the, the house, I, I, I just, it, the imposter syndrome is real, I think, oh, yeah. for everybody and everything. And I just wanted to tell you that <laughs> <laughs> I'm killing my house plants. <laughs> That's right. The um, horticulture industry that produces those house plants are really glad that most people do kill them because then they buy more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's yes. a business, always a business. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Adam, what can the community do for you? What can the community do for me? Mm -hmm. um, well, one thing they can do for me is first place the oxygen mask on themselves before helping others. Yes. Always a good PSA. So, metaphor, you know, take care of yourselves. Be good to yourself. Cut yourself some slack. We all just went through a damn global pandemic. Yeah, you know we we are still going through a global pandemic. We are in the midst of a worldwide shared trauma. Yeah, give yourself some break. Give me some break. Yeah, cut me some slack. I'm not always at my best. Not always on my best game. Um, going to the grocery store is like a battle zone these days. Just 
wear a mask for the love of God, please. Yeah. And thank you. Um, and if you can't wear a mask because of health reasons, maybe try to uh, take some steps if you can um, to limit your uh, uh, time spent in public places like grocery stores. And then if um, you can't do that and you don't know how to wear a mask, then just be okay with me walking by you going, your nose is sticking out. Or God, I wish you were wearing a mask right now. Or some of these other things that I'm allowed to get away with because I'm a middle-aged white guy who's six foot four. <laughs> and so I'm going to use it. I'm going to say it. Um, what my community can do for me too is um, please, everyone around us, start to think about um, your day-to-day, moment-to-moment impacts on the environment and how can you take small, medium, and giant steps to uh, reduce that impact so we might be able to then have the political sway and um, social movement pressure to pressure the large corporations and the large government um, changes that are going to be needed if we are to continue life as we know it on this planet um, without uh, large number of people suffering and um, dying and uh, and more than that a large number of species of life being taken out in the process by us and our activities but it's not all just on the individual too we can't do that I mean we're not going to recycle our way out of this stuff um, we need that top-down things but we also mm -hmm. still need to recycle thank you for that Adam mm. saving the world y'all <laughs> yes i have another question for you just so just to clarify anybody who knows me at all knows that i love talking about myself and stuff well, i will run my mouth i will advocate great. sometimes too much <laughs> but, um, so yeah ask away fire away i like questions what are some ways that in, in speaking about what we can do on, on a personal and an individual basis, mm -hmm. thinking like, what, what can my impact be? What are some ways that the people of Jackson County can help to preserve the, the nature that surrounds us? Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I could speak about right now that run the gamut from, you know, reducing our uh, purchasing and packaging um, reducing our waste, uh, taking food waste out of the um, waste of the trash stream and composting. And there are so many things that I could speak about. But right now, I, I just want to bring it to one of the most important things that you can do right now to help save the world is to um, stop buying and growing exotic invasive plant species to um, remove the ones that are in your yard and landscape right now and kill them. And then to plant and replace as many um, exotic plants with native plants in our landscapes as much as possible because um, we have changed our landscapes so much that we are um, causing this cascade of impacts that's leading to um, species decline in insects and when that happens it's possible for ecosystems to shut down completely so like seriously it's as simple as this plants eat sunlight that's photosynthesis um, and insects eat plants but insects um, and we used to think that was a bad thing especially in our yards you know, so we brought in all these exotic things to grow instead. But if the insects did not co-evolve or grow up with the plants around them, they won't recognize them as food for their young. And so they won't be able to lay their eggs on, on an exotic plant. Even if the caterpillar, for instance, could eat it, it won't because it didn't co-evolve with it. It doesn't know to do that. And so um, if we don't have insects eating on leaves of plants, we're not moving that energy from the sun to the leaf 
and then to the insect caterpillars and then up into the um, environment. And so for, you know, therefore, um, birds and uh, birds uh, that are raising their young, you know, our primary, their primary diet is caterpillars and insects. And um, we think of bird seed, maybe some of us think and make that connection that bird seed and flowers are kind of the same thing once the flowers go to seed. But really, um, it's caterpillars that birds rely on. And some songbirds that are raising their young can make 1500 trips a day to go get caterpillars. And there are actual grad students who have sat in bushes counting the number of times a bird leaves to go. You know, that's how they spend their summer. Science is really like bean counting. You're just like one, two, 189, 543. Uh, I'm ready uh. to go home. Um, so, and if they are nesting, you know, they may be able to take shelter in that boxwood shrub right outside of everybody's house. But if they're raising their babies and they're looking for food, they have to leave that shelter. Whereas if they're nesting in, uh, in an oak tree, the oak genus itself, according to the work of Dr. Doug Tallamy from the University of Delaware, uh, can support upwards of 500 different species of caterpillars of moth and butterfly. And so the birds like nesting here and then just hop out, get a caterpillar, hop right back. They're not gone from the nest a long time. There's no snakes coming in, eating the babies. Um, there's no hawk grabbing mama and stuff, you know, and that's reduced. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but so our yards can serve as that um, connection of reestablishing a natural ecosystem and our yards, our landscapes, our, our uh, corporate and educational campuses Instead of being a wasteland and a sterile environment where there's not very many things living, you can actually bring in that whole circle of life into your yard. And um, it's like the Lion King. You know, I, I, I can sit on my front porch and at certain times of year and drink my morning coffee and watch pipe vine swallowtail caterpillars go through chrysalis and turn into pipe vine swallowtail butterflies, which are the large black and blue iridescent butterfly. And the reason that I can sit there and watch that is because I planted a plant called the Dutchman's pipe or the pipe vine that this pipe vine swallowtail butterfly is named after. And it's the only thing that the pipe vine swallowtail butterfly caterpillar can eat. And the only thing in the world that can eat the pipe vine leaves is that swallowtail butterfly. They have a one-to-one -one relationship. And without it, we don't have the other. You know, and I don't know about y'all, but if we lost monarchs or the swallowtail butterflies, I would be sad. And um, so I'm sad because we're losing them. And if we don't do something about it, we will lose them. We are in the midst of a thing called the insect apocalypse. And the insect apocalypse is being referred to um, by scientists who are studying these things. And so um, when I was a kid, hold on, let me say that again. When I was a kid, <laughs> you know, hey, you kids, get off my porch. But when Thank I was a kid. Thank you for the dramatization. You're welcome. <laughs> this is an arts program, right? Yeah. And so um, when, I was a, when I was a kid, we would go on long car rides in the summer, and we would have to stop every couple hours to clean the dead insects off of our windshields and to clean the dead insects off the front of our lights. They used to make these things to put on the front of cars. They called them bras. They don't make that anymore. Then the bra was there. It was like an, uh, an add-on to keep the bugs from going and clogging up your air intake. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to clean our windshields from a long car ride. We don't have to put these things on because we have killed off, culturally we have killed off insects at such a high rate that they're not flying around anymore. But if you allow native plants to grow and if you encourage them and if you plant them in your yard, suddenly nature returns like overnight so, or in one season. So if I'm a homeowner or a business owner or a campus leader um, mm -hmm. and I know these words that you're using, native plants, exotic plants, is like a, a foreign language to me. Totally. Where can I go 
to start? If I'm interested in this work, where can I go to start? One of the best places to seek out is your local state um, native plant society's webpage. And so we have a very wonderful and beautiful uh, North Carolina native plant society. Um, and you can find that at ncwildflower.org. Um, and they have wonderful and great resources. You can start by, uh, there's some good Facebook uh, pages, pollinator friendly yards and healthy yards. You can read um, books, including by Dr. Doug Tallamy, who's like the hero of the native plant world right now. Um, his first book was Bringing Nature Home. His second book is called um, Nature's Best Hope. And uh, his book coming out soon is all about oak trees. So if you want to really nerd out, um, which I do. <laughs> but uh, that those are the best ways. And then for us here locally, one of the best resources we have. Um, so and when I say locally, I mean Cullowee here in the heart of Jackson County have hosts every summer for the last um 38 years, the Cullowee Native Plant Conference, which when I went for the very first time, I thought it was some small, local, no big deal thing. And I was about to start horticulture school. So I was like, I'm going to go learn about plants. It'll be cool. I walked into the largest and oldest native plant conference on the East Coast and possibly in the country where people come from all over the Southeast from all bunch of different disciplines and study, fields of study. And they, we all share in common a love for native plants and want to see them growing in the landscape. And uh, it is just, I've been going for um, 17 years, every year. I just write it, I pencil it in, third week of July, forever. So everybody has time <laughs> to plan. That's, right. <laughs> That's great, thank it. you. Well, Adam, cool. before we get to our last question, I, I mm -hmm. just, this is a Jessica special question. Oh, good. Talk to me about kudzu. Okay. <laughs> and why we hate it, what we're going to do about it. <laughs> Tell me what I need to know. So kudzu uh, is uh, the scientific name Pueria Montana, and it is a plant that um, is indigenous to Japan. Um, and kudzu was um, brought over and introduced into North America by agricultural scientists and um, uh, the uh, ag extension at universities to um, try to slow the massive amounts of soil erosion around rivers and streams and creek banks that happen by our um, European extractive um, no care for the future agricultural practices that decimated Europe. And then we spread them over here and they decimated here too. And suddenly everything was running. So they brought it for that. And they also were hoping that the, they could use it as a cattle feed. And um, so it is, it was introduced on purpose. And in fact, uh, the USDA was paying farmers as late as the mid seventies to um, grow it and to plant it even as within 10 years of it being introduced early in the 1900s, there were people showing that this was gonna be potentially be a problem and it became a big problem. And so um, it has spread all around the United States Southeast and it's here in Appalachia and has been a long time. Down in you know Mississippi, Alabama, there's thousands of acres of this stuff contiguous and um, the thing is, is that because it's an exotic plant, it doesn't have that uh, those limits and regulatory systems around it to keep it in check. It doesn't have insects and animals that evolve to eat it and to keep it back. Whereas it's not, it's a beautiful and wonderful plant on its own in Japan where it's supposed to live. But here it's a scourge. And so um, it has spread and spread and spread and it grows so fast. And it's um, one of, it's probably the main poster child of invasive plants um, to be that even people who have never heard that word before know about kudzu and what it does. Um, and so uh, one of the main ways that um, it's trying to be brought into control is uh, using synthetic 
pesticide um, chemical warfare, which um, loses that battle. We all lose that battle. But I don't want us to stop trying to kill kudzu either because kudzu is going to cause us, because it outcompetes native plants. And it then, you know, when you do that, when you clear an area of high diversity or even medium diversity and replace it with just one species that does one thing um, that kind of, that is not uh, well balanced in the ecosystem. So it's fragile and it has no um, diverse community of resilience built around it when it's plants. So um, one thing that is being done is people are um, land managers and environmental organizations are going out and um, they call it treating with um, herbicides. It's not really a treat, it's poison. And I, I really, I, I used to do that work and I may, and I still kill invasive plants. I do it manually now, but I know that there are some uh, situations where um, using the poisons, the toxic poisons is important. I think we need to take away the euphemisms from that and just allow ourselves to talk about the reality that we're going to use some toxic poisons on this and um that's the what we have to do and we're going to try to do it with minimal they even use other warm metaphors like uh minimizing collateral damage um stuff like that but there's others out there there's a whole nother approach of um trying to control it and that's folks that are trying to um that recognize the plant's um prevalence and also recognize the plant has some benefits and uses to humans in our way. And so there are um, some folks um, based around Buncombe County near Asheville that are, uh, have started a group called Kudzu Culture and they do a kudzu camp every year in the winter in Silva, North Carolina, where you can um, come in and work for a week and learn how to do things like uh, make food, fiber, fuel from the kudzu. And it's an attempt not to, um, promote its planting and spread, but promote the use of the plant to try to create some sort of economic vitality around it, mm -hmm. which could then incentivize harvesting. My concern and something I've had conversations with them, as long as we're, we can do that, but let's not incentivize, oh, this is now making me money. Let's profit. plant it more. Yeah, yeah don't mm -hmm. do that. Ah. But harvest it, use it. And um, that's a great method of control. So you're telling me that next time I come up to Silva, I'm going to go buy like a kudzu facial oil. That's going to be the new hot thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, kudzu flowers are very fragrant. So you might have some uh, kudzu uh, facial cream, kudzu oil, <laughs> and then the kudzu flower essence aroma. It kind of smells like um, great Kool-Aid when it's flowering. We, we just discovered it. Here we go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's right. Kudzu Botanicals, we'll start a business. Yes. <laughs> right now around us in the Southeast, the Bradford pears are all blooming. Mm -hmm. And that's just such an awful, awful plant. That <laughs> it's just so horrible. It smells bad. It smells it was, like fish. Uh, that's one of the things it smells like. <laughs> There's a lot of, yes, it smells really bad. And, um, uh, and it was sold to the horticulture industry as a sterile cultivar. Um, but what that really means is that it's 90% sterile, which means it's, you know, 10 or 7% vi vi viable when and nature finds her way and nature wins because we are nature and she will beat us down as the children out of control that we are eventually. But when it escapes, it turns back into its parent plant, which is the calorie pear. And it has giant thorns and it shows up all over the place in these little hard rock hard um, pears that we can't eat, but you know, birds eat and then they poop it out somewhere and it plants and goes everywhere. And those giant thorns will like puncture tractor tires. And it's just, it's a scourge. And, but right now it's blooming all white and everywhere. It's so pretty. Isn't it so pretty? <laughs> no, it's a horrible, horrible invasive plant here period. Yeah. Well, I have loved learning about <laughs> these yeah. invasive species and what we can do about it. Um, and I want to just take it back to Jackson County once more before yeah. we go. And 
Adam, can you just tell us in just a couple of sentences what you most love about mm -hmm. Jackson County? You know, Jackson County is, is a special place, and anybody who's spent any time here knows it is. Um, it's been special long before I got here. It's been magic long before um, the university was built, which, you know, that's something that really drives a lot of the cultural energy in around Silva and Cullowhee is that university. But it was special long before that um, with uh, when the, uh, some of the first settlers came through. And it was really special long, long before that. We're here um, on Cherokee land and in the land of the Cherokee people. And we're in the um, ancestral homeland of the Cherokee and everywhere around us is Cherokee land. And it's so ancient. Um, there are special places like Juddicola Rock in um, Cullowee on a Caney Fork. That's a petroglyph, a carved petroglyph that's so old that the Cherokee have myths about it. And, um, and it's just been a magical, special place. And it's beautiful. It is so diverse with plants and wildlife. Um, it's in the uh, storm shadow for the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So we don't get things like um, big snowstorms or straight line winds very often or, or um, tornadoes and stuff. So it's sheltered and protected. And uh, it's, um, it's just magic in it and it has wildflowers and so much abundance. And I would love the opportunity to take you all on a wildflower walk. And I would love the opportunity to take each and every one of our listeners um, that are that are tuning into this program right now on a wildflower walk this spring and this summer where I can uh, slow down your day and connect you deeply with the beautiful community of diversity that is the plants that live in Jackson County, North Carolina. And that's... We think it's pretty magical too, Adam. Um, and Dang. yeah, I, I, I hope to, and hope to bring my daughter along as well, but mm. um, Bigelow's Botanical Excursions, am I right? That's right. Bigelow's Botanical Excursions. We'll make sure that we also make that available in show notes and everything uh, for everybody Great. as well. Yeah, we're on the social medias and whatnot. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Adam. We really, really have appreciated this time yeah. with you. Oh, it's been such a joy. I'm so grateful. And, and again, both Jessica and Ashley, I'm really happy uh, to be here today and talking with y'all and to connect with y'all and also really excited to see what it is that y'all do with this new project you're working on and this and I look forward to um hearing what it is I said because I never know. <laughs> no this has been really great Adam we and we do sincerely appreciate your time um I I also really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that um everyone listening has as well um and so just also quickly Adam if you could give us where we can find you on social media how can we connect with you how can listeners connect sure. with you well, I, um, I'm on Facebook. I'm all over Facebook. I use Facebook primarily because I'm an old middle-aged white guy. So, um, and I invite you to uh, friend request me on Facebook personally, Adam Bigelow. Um, my uh, tagline on my page is um, come for the pretty wildflowers, stay for the environmental, social, and racial justice. So just know it's not just pretty wildflowers. <laughs> I'm going to call myself on my, on my shit and I'm going to call you on your shit and I'm going to post things that will challenge you. Um, and if you want to stay, it's a full <laughs> meal. Yeah. But if you want to stay away from that, you can also find um, Bigelow's botanical excursions on uh, what is that? Instagram for the pretty pictures, but really go to Facebook and then also Bigelow botanical excursions on Facebook as well. The best way to find me is uh, right now. Um, Usually Wednesday, uh, all day and into the evening at the Cullowee Community Garden, which there's a Facebook page for that too, but there's nothing like showing up to um, 65 South Painter Road in Cullowee, North Carolina, and um, walking into a beautiful, beautiful community garden that is uh, not just growing garden and growing community, but it's also a shared outdoor public art space we have one uh, 
just didn't even touch on this, but last year we did a collaborative um, project with a local community development group, a local artist, and the Cullowee Garden where we um, installed giant paintings of four native butterflies and then have another educational panel telling the story of that relationship with the plants and the butterflies and the world. Amazing. Come to the garden. Yes, absolutely. The Nectar Series podcast is brought to you by Calliope Stage and Anchor. Logo designed by Zachary Alexander, music by Susan Pepper and Taylor Harris, and editing by Daniel Stanley. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow Calliope Stage on Instagram and Facebook at Calliope Stage. For more updates and ways to join our community, visit www.calliopestage.com.